ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to Eleven. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Joining me as always, Zach Bartles. Zach, other than the fact that you want to chuck Skype out into the throes of the universe, how are things going? Oh, not bad, man. I definitely did not have a cigar with Alex Police this morning and uh, have the cigar in one hand and my albuterol inhaler in the other. (laughs) That didn't happen. I would never do that. I'm too health conscious. (laughs) I don't know. I I, I thought I was uh, over all this uh, lunger business where I'm like Doc Holliday over here, but uh, it came back and I was like, I don't care. I'm still... I'm having that cigar. <laughs> I'm doing it, and you can't stop me. <laughs> That's great, man. That's great. I uh, I was talking with Greg today, and we're we were talking about he's of course going to be joining us next uh, Thursday to do podcast about Halloween and little Monster Mash. Little Monster Mash. Ooh, maybe we should do that for a Halloween opening intro. That would be kind of cool. Um. Anyway, little ADHD moment there. Uh, we were, we were, uh, talking about, uh, some youth group stuff and I was like, dude, can we do like, uh, you know, costume party dress up for, for youth groups since we do it on Tuesdays and it's the, uh, it's the day before Halloween. And he was like, oh, that would be perfect. Yeah. Let's go ahead and put that out there. You know, costume party. It'll be fun. It'll be great. I'm like, I think I'm going to do my Wolverine again. I'm growing my beard out a little longer this time. So it'll be more, more noticeable. And uh, I was like, so would it be inappropriate if I had an unlit cigar? He's like, I think it would be great. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, okay, so unlit for youth group. And then once all the kids leave, I'm going to light it up. (laughs) Only Wolverine smokes those like, those like cheroot gnarled like outlaw things. You don't want anything to do with those, man. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to fudge it uh, for, uh, for, you know, fudge the uh, authenticity on that one a little bit (laughs) (laughs) oh man but uh we are you know we're in october clearly we've got halloween coming up in a couple weeks and you know we've already started talking about uh needing to kind of sit down as it were and plan our christmas coming up you know and it's right around the corner and of course you cannot mention Christmas without mentioning Mission Aware. Uh, not only when you go to these Go to 11 page do we have all of our great products, but we also have some collabs up there still. I believe they still have some beer mug uh, packages that you can get with collabs from other podcasts. And then I've just noticed that they have their new Theologian statue bookends, which actually look oh, yeah. really good. Have you seen those? Yeah, dude, that's that's the high level talks I was in with Jeff when I was supposed to be skyping in with you. Oh, nice. Um, he, he he was telling me exciting news, dude. They've got two more added to the uh, mix. They're going to have Owen and Bunyan. Nice. When are you going to get your bust in there, Zach? They, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be getting my Spurgeon and my uh, Calvin ones soon here, uh, and that's uh, exciting. But. Uh, Nice. I don't know. I don't know when they're gonna. The, the people are gonna demand a, a Zach bust. <laughs> I'm looking at these things. These are these are really great. I can remember growing up. Uh, we had a my family. We just loved books, and we had several of those bookend things. And I remember we had a couple um, busts of literary authors and things like that. And these are these are really good looking. 
Um, and so, you know, check out Mission Aware and check out these theologian statues. They have Spurgeon, Calvin, Edwards, Luther, and you said they're adding who else? Owen and John Bunyan. Nice. Uh, the Johns. But uh, Jeff was telling me, if you want those before Christmas, you got to get on the Kickstarter like now okay. and, and lock them down. Like, I mean, it's, it's, uh, don't want to wait. They, they probably will, most of them still be available after the Kickstarter is run its course. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you're looking at spring uh, when the next shipment arrives. So, oh, wow. If you want, you want them before uh, Christmas so you can give them as gifts, get on the Kickstarter right now. That's, that's how they're, um, doling these these rarities out okay. man they really really do look nice and and i have always wanted literally have always wanted a bust of john calvin nice. um and i have the bobblehead but that doesn't quite do the trick <laughs> so i'm really i'm jazzed about this yeah the spurgeon one had better be significantly bigger though on account of the jowls and everything i know right <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So, yeah, definitely check out Mission Aware. And, yeah, thanks for the uh, advice going on to the Kickstarter, getting in that early. So that way you can get it for Christmas if you're thinking about giving them away as gifts. So good piece of advice there. Um, Dude, I am really actually kind of excited about the topic today. You uh, texted me and you were like, hey, I got this idea for a topic. I don't know if it's going to take the whole thing or not. And I was like, well, why don't we just kind of expand it a little more? And uh, we can include some other things into it as well. So I want to start with what you specifically had in mind in the topic range. And then, you know, if we have uh, time, we'll, we'll hit the second part of it. And if not, then we'll keep everyone in suspense. Um, but you were talking about evangelism. Um, and I've noticed this with churches a lot. They have evangelism classes or they have um, outreach classes or uh, different programs that uh, allow people to kind of plug in and get out there in evangelism. And so the question was kind of just, you know, um, should evangelism be organized as a church program or should it be something that the members do on their own or both? Um yeah, and Zach, since uh, this is your topic, I'm going to let, let you go ahead and uh, and start us off. What do you What do you do in your church? Well, you know, before I even get there, let me just say what prompted me to thinking about this is I had four or five different conversations all in a row. Okay, where people were primarily there were people who were kind of disaffected by their churches, um, like lack of outreach program, formal outreach. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, what, what in, in at least a couple of cases, it was beyond that. It was like being closed to um, those people, you know, those those right. ungodly, un, irreligious, unwashed masses. Right. And so kind of a, almost being against the notion of evangelism. Okay. But but I, I had a, a long conversation with a good friend two weekends ago about um, they tried to get an evangelism program started and people weren't really into it. And it really it was upsetting to this, to this person. And at the end of the day, I, I've been thinking um, for a while about like, what does the scripture tell us and what is left to just our, you know, imagination to our churches and their makeup and, and how they function yeah. one, you know, church by church. Um, as far as the the role of actual evangelism, I know. I mean, 
I, I don't like the evangelism discipleship distinction. I don't, it's, it's not a good distinction. Yep. Going and making disciples involves both the bringing the gospel to the lost right. and uh, the building up the believers. So it's all discipleship. Yes. There's two aspects of it. And I, I know I see the kind of discipleship, what we, what we call discipleship, um, building up element very much present in the church, happening as a vital element of what the church does when they gather together in the scriptures. I mean, that's, that's just clear as day from the second chapter of Acts on. Yes. They gathered together for the apostles' teaching, right? Yeah. Um, so there's, there's that. But, but then the question becomes, is the evangelism part, I mean, the, I, I'm preaching through Acts now, so that's re- this is very much on my mind. Oh, okay. Are you cool. popping like a uh, little, uh, like, what do you call those little <laughs> air bubble things that you get in your Amazon packages? <laughs> no, I shifted in my seat to get my drink. <laughs> oh, okay. I've been hearing a lot of that. Um, so, folks, if you were imagining Nathan popping those little, those little poppy sheets, he's not doing that. No, no, um, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> he's drinking. I am. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if I told you about this, but. Uh, I also have an ongoing uh, smear campaign about, and it's nothing personal, it's business, about you, that you are a, a secret drinker. Um, secret but- drinker? <laughs> I, I, think, uh, I think I've made it very clear on this podcast, there's nothing secret about it. <laughs> He's a lush. Yeah. Uh, but but uh. In, in the book of Acts, when you see, the first few times you see you know, evangelism proper, yeah. Um, I would even include uh, Peter with the the man who, you know, at the temple gate called Beautiful, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, um, you know, pointing people to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Right. Um, and then we think of Philip uh, and the Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah. It seems to be more of a, you know, that's the well-going part. When Jesus yes. said... In uh, Matthew 28, that is a, it's a participle we're dealing with here. It's, it's not a, an imperative. Right. Uh, the imperative part is make disciples. Right. The going part is assumed. You know, you got to right. go. You got to go somewhere. Yes. And, um, you know, so I've been thinking about, you know, does, does it reflect poorly on a church and their, their valuing of um, the gospel and, and the mission of the church if they don't have formal programs, uh, quote unquote, for bringing the gospel to the lost, um, or can, you know, that, is that not really all that important? Because a lot of these things have really run their course, and a lot of them that worked well, I feel like, are rooted in former iterations of American culture. Right, right. And I think at this point, most people in our culture, if you roll up with, hey, by the way, I've got this, this program or this, this tract or this thing to walk you through, this spiel, right. they're turning you off, man. They're, yeah. they're changing the channel in their head. They're, yeah. they're laughing at you. Uh, and not, not in the way where we want them to, where we get you know, pennies in heaven for right. it, but in a way where they're just not listening. Right. So. I don't know. So before I even like uh, tell you where we've been and what we've tried, um, what, what what is your take on all this stuff? Yeah, I, you know, I remember um, being heavily into uh, growing up, heavily in a time where 
you know, you would go out for an evening with your church, whether it be youth group or whatever, and intentionally go out with, uh, you know, a tract or intentionally go out with, uh, a, a skit or something to draw people's attention and, you know, start evangelizing and witnessing that way and being very intentional in, in gathering and, you know, bringing people and talking to them about the gospel. I remember being in the middle of that. And this actually, this is where I started questioning some of the stuff um, at that time that I was doing where a lot of people's reaction was really um, what are you selling me now type of thing. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's got an angle. Everybody's got something they're selling. At this point, many people have had heard, you know, th- this same kind of thing before or they'd seen it. It's it's one of those things where different youth groups, you know, would go to this area kind of every Friday night type of deal or every Saturday afternoon type of deal. And so it it became very predictable in a sense, um, almost scripted. It might've been different youth groups. It might've been different people, but you're almost seeing, you almost knew when you were going, you were going to hear and see kind of the same thing. Um, and so for me, I've, I've taken a very different view and approach on kind of that formal evangelism training or, participating in, in, you know, I think what we're talking about, that kind of formal evangelism. Um, I, I, and I'm very careful to say formal and not intentional because I think we always intentionally need to be aware of what's going on and aware of uh, how God's working in certain situations to, to, to present the gospel. Because, you know, I, I, I know people and I have family who are like, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter when you are. You know, you you're presenting the gospel every opportunity you get. Um, and I, there were times where I would look at that, and I was like, I don't think that person is. I understand you and your intent. You are you are um, bent on on making sure that they hear and understand the gospel. Because what if? Um, and I've come to a place where I'm like. But, but they're not in a position right now where they're accepting the gospel. Right now, they, they kind of just need somebody's ear to bend. You know, they don't want it, they don't want to sit there and just, you know, think you're listening to them so that you can get to what you have to say. They actually genuinely want someone who's listening to them and who's, who cares for them. And I've come to appreciate and accept the fact that 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 might mean that in this encounter that I have with them, I'm not even bringing up the gospel once. Um, Does that make sense? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. um, Roll back a little bit now. You you went through a few things there. In the first that you said, Mm -hmm. um, I, I tend to agree that the kind of publicly attractional um, methodology and strategy yeah. is less effective now, but I don't, I don't have a beef with it when and where it works. I, I, I even, I, you know, using the same a few examples from the book of Acts, you see anytime we can get a crowd together, yeah. Peter, Peter's like, 
oh, we're speaking in tongues and everyone's looking at us. Hey, I guess a good time since they're looking and listening to preach the gospel. Oh, I just healed this guy and everyone's looking at us. Going to preach the gospel as loudly as I can. Oh, we're dragged before the Sanhedrin and they're all listening to what we have to say in defense of ourselves. You know what I have to say? It's the gospel. So like, I mean, when and where you can, especially if you already have somehow done something, you know, a good example of this might be, um, you know, if, if a church does something insanely kind um, to help a community that's been ravaged by X or Y, or, you know, they, they uh, hold a clinic where they, you know, change people's oil for free, or they rebuild a car and give it to a single mom or whatever. And then, and the news media comes around sure. and, and, the, and the pastor stands up and says, you got a camera in my face and a mic in my, in front of my mouth. Yes. I'm going to preach the gospel. Right. Like, or, or for example, if, um, you know, we have, uh, uh, the, these Christian athletes who I just knocked the guy out in 14 seconds, or I just scored a bunch of field goals, uh, whatever the case, you know, and they're like, uh, how did you, you know, whatever, what do you have to say to your, and they're like, wow, a lot of people listen to me right now. I'll right. preach the gospel. I, I, I really do, uh, admire that, that attitude, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I know there are people who can make it work where all they need is literally a milk carton to stand on. Yeah. And, and they will, I mean, I know people still today, um, you may know of, uh, the Reverend Jervis Nicholas, Gervais Nicholas, Edward Charmley, uh, in Stoke on Trent in England there. He's the man. Mm-hmm. Um, he does open air preaching every week and, People come and they listen and they sometimes heckle and he deals with that and and people get saved. Right. There's no way I could do that. But I'll tell you what, I know I know some uh African American preachers who have the right kind of um delivery and and energy that really probably could do that right here in my, you know, medium sized city that I live in and would and would draw a crowd and people would listen. And internalize it's so there's no one size fits all. And I think the the weakness of a program is even though they always lead with, there's no one size fits all. It implies that, you know, right. you follow these steps right? and it's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's probably where I've, I, I've come to on thing is I think, I think the church should be there ready and willing to help equip the saints to go out in whatever they're doing and be able to present the gospel. I mean, if you think about your work environment um, alone, uh, you know, how many hours you spend with these people, um, there are going to be different things that people are going to be able to use and take away that are going to help them. And so what our church typically does is a <laughs> chairman. <I> <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I got to get a new chair. Um what our church will typically do is we have our you know small groups, our community groups that people will go to and that's where we'll kind of hash out what's going on, you know, can you guys pray for me? I have this person at work. They seem open to, you know, discussions with me about the gospel. Um, something along the lines of, you know, Hey, I mean, super smart guys, you know, I don't even know how to approach them from an intellectual standpoint. Hey, I've read this book. Let me give it to you on apologetics. I think it might help, you know, those type of things. And so 
I think part of what helps with evangelism isn't necessarily these these formal classes, which I myself have been a part of both in taking and teaching. Um, I, I think what helps more than anything is these situations that we, we come into contact with on a personal level. Hey, I, I've got this going on. How do I deal with it? Or even on a more public level, somebody who might who might have the opportunity or somebody who might be passionate about going out publicly doing this, hey, I have this opportunity, how do I, you know, can the church help me, not necessarily, you know, financially or anything like that, but just how can the church help me be more effective because I really have a passion for this and I want to do this and I think God has gifted me and equipped me to be able to be effective in this. So how can the church support me in this? Um, and I think that's more important than a church establishing a, a program or a set of classes that can help. Because like you said, there is no one size fits all. I mean, we would have we would have evangelism classes, but we would have hundreds of them because there's so many different ways and so many different approaches in going out and preaching the gospel. I mean, you think about apologetics. I mean, you could you could literally just, you know, say, okay, we're gonna have an apologetics class, we're gonna have a track class, we're gonna have a street evangelism class, we're gonna have this, we're gonna have this. Um, whereas I think the most effective thing is when you individually come up against some form of evangelism that you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I don't know how to overcome whether it's shyness or I, I think God's gifted me with this, but I'm not sure how to approach it. I think that's when, you know, people in the church rally around this person and say, Hey, let's, let's see if we can help you with this so that you can be more effective in how God has gifted you and equipped you in evangelism. Yeah, and you have to distinguish, um, you know, with the question at hand, whether, I mean, the program is one thing. That's saying this is a formal um, role and task of the church. Right. Even if you believed that evangelism proper was to be done primarily um, or only by believers on quote unquote their time, you know, in, in sure. going about their lives, you still could see room, I would think, for a class because that equips you to do the work that you do in, you know, the other uh, six days and sure. 23 and a half hours. Uh, no, no, 22 and a half hours. But, but <laughs> you know, like, yeah. what you say is, I, I, is well taken because they're, the the thing I don't want to condemn these things, oh, but yeah, no. I I've seen a few very useful kind of trends um, that that have borne fruit come and go in the in the training or training slash program category. One has been um, Evangelism Explosion, D. James Kennedy, mm-hmm. uh, which my parents did that. I remember them; they went door to door. I think uh, doing that stuff mm-hmm. and. It, I mean, it was all very biblical. Obviously, it, it was uh, it was all very um, Christ centered. It wasn't manipulative. It wasn't you know emotionalism. It was, it, I mean, it, the, the gospel is an emotional thing, but but it wasn't you know trying to play on people's fears or anything. It right. was it was it was good. Um, I don't think it would fly today, but that doesn't mean it wasn't good in that moment and for those people for whom it worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another thing that was like tape sets, uh, and I had a couple different iterations of it. I don't remember the dude's name, but one was called 
sharing the gospel without fear and one was called sharing the gospel without an argument, which um, I think appealed to a lot of people. They did not want to have an argument. I don't either. I mean, like right, nobody, right. it's a, a cliche, but no one gets argued into the kingdom or whatever. But it, it was about like how to manipulate a conversation is basically, you know, you sit down next to somebody on a plane, you're like, I got three hours and here's how you ask some basic questions about who you are and what you do. And then you ask, do you have any religious beliefs? And then you let them tell you what they believe for a while. You ask a few questions to clarify. Huh, interesting. Then you say, if you were wrong, would you want to know it? And uh, he said that in you know asking 16,000 people or something this question, no one had ever said no. They'd all said, huh, well, I guess. And, and, he, and he had this way. And, and my thought about that kind of thing is as long as we don't ever imply it's the right way or even the best way, those are good tools because I know a lot of people who they want a tool, any tool, something to help just give them the confidence to right. start this conversation. Right. You know, and, and even if you just put whatever you learn in that class or in that book in your hip pocket and say, well, if, if all else fails, I'll just follow the script. Um, most of the time, it's not going to fail uh, because we forget about the Holy Spirit. Right. Uh, when, when we are preparing and, and the other danger I think of the program or even the class or the book is it boxes out the Holy spirit. Cause I know what I'm going to say now. Mm-hmm. Right. And you and I have both talked about experiences where we have, um, we've looked back at a conversation an evangelistic conversation and gone, Whoa, that wasn't, that wasn't me. Yes. That, that was, yes. <laughs> that was something. I mean, it came from within me, but it came from this other, uh, guy that lives within I me, know. the yeah. Holy spirit. Um, <laughs> So that's, you know, there's, there's such potential for, for good. And I would never discourage someone from reading a lot of books on evangelism. The problem is it's just like reading a lot of books on, um, apologetics where you get to the point where you're like, I've read, I know a whole bunch of good information and it's all, there's so much of it. I'm paralyzed here. Right. Do I ask six leading questions? Do I walk them through the Romans road? Do I share my testimony? Um, and, you know, I, I always, I always uh, like to get in there and remind people, your testimony is not the gospel. Your, your life and your story is not what saves them. Right. Uh, but it sure can be a great inroad to it. And it can, you know, show them that this Jesus guy who, who died on a cross 2,000 years ago is still relevant today. Right. Um, so, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, it's like jazz, right? In order to you know, riff on and improvise, uh, in, in, in a, in a jazz setting, in a solo, Mm -hmm. you have to know all the scales, all the modes, all the, all the, you know, the pentatonic, what I, yeah, I, at one time knew a lot more about these things than I do now. Um, yeah, you have to know all the stuff, the rules before you can, before you can kind of freewheel it. Right. You know, and I think you can put an awful lot of tools in your pocket you know, it, it, it probably is similar to martial arts, right? Yeah. Um, I love the Bruce Lee, like no fixed positions, um, mm-hmm. very fluid, be like water. But that, if you're going to be good at that, that's got to come out of hundreds and thousands of hours of Structured drills involving and, fixed yeah. positions. Yeah. 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 So you, you play with them. And, and maybe that's a good analogy here. I, maybe not, but I, I'm not going to back down on it because I've already just doubled down on that's it. So. right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think you make a good point. You know, I, ultimately, what I tell um, 
students, uh, what I'm teaching or what I've talked to with other adults when we've been in conversation, the best piece of advice that I ever heard when dealing with the gospel, when dealing with the Bible is take any subject that you know a lot about or that you're passionate about. You know, if, if you're a car enthusiast, if you're a cigar enthusiast, if you're a boat enthusiast, if you're a sports enthusiast, you're able to talk. You, you got me with the sports enthusiast, man. <laughs> Hook, line, and sinker. Go um, team. <laughs> rah, rah. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're, you're able to passionately talk to people about these things because you know about them. You've studied them. You've learned about it. You've dug into the history on it. You've, you know, you, you've educated yourself on it. And so really, you know, your comfort level is what determines your ability to really engage people and, and be fluid with it and, and you being comfortable with it. And so I would say, I always tell people that it's the same thing when it comes to, when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to God, whatever, whatever you're doing, first of all, I think it's important that whether, you know, you're all about apologetics or you're all about street evangelism, whatever it might be. Remember that ultimately what we're trying to do is convey the gospel. So, you know, you can have, you know, the best facts about, you know, the uh, age of the earth and all of this stuff. But ultimately what we're trying to do is show people Christ. And we're, and if you're, if you're missing the mark on knowing the gospel and knowing Christ and, uh, knowing about Christ and about what the New Testament has to say about him, about what the Old Testament has to say about him, then you're missing a huge chunk of your education. And so with anything, I would say that's where you start. You know, you start in the Bible and looking at what does the Bible have to say about about Jesus. I just did a devotional uh, at school, and I forget who said it, but, you know, there's a quote out there. That all of the Bible is either pointing toward Christ, is either directly about Christ, or is a result of what Christ did. That was Rob Bell. (laughs) (laughs) You sure it wasn't Joel Osteen? Um, One of of those guys. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's know about who you're talking about, you know, know about Christ. And so when people have questions, I feel more and more, the more I I dig into scripture, I'm not saying, you know, apologetics is bad. I'm not saying street event. I'm not saying any of these things are bad as you're saying. I think, I think these are tools for the ultimate purpose of reaching people who are individuals. They have different skill sets. They have different ways of looking at and processing and perceiving information. And so what we want to do is be able to, to give them ultimately the gospel in a way that is, that is going to, you know, help them understand. And I say help them understand. Yes. I realize that we, you know, it's the Holy Spirit that makes them understand and all that. Like I'm not negating that, but I feel like as believers, we want to be as prepared as possible to present the gospel to people in as many ways as possible um, so that, you know, there there is understanding there. God has gifted people with different um, ability, abilities, different ways of looking at things and thinking at things. And so when I'm speaking with 
a scientist, you know, typically my first approach is to go through apologetics and go through the logic. But I, you know, there are times where you find out quickly that while this person might be a scientist and they understand and get logic, they're also very passionate and emotional person. And so maybe in that case, going through my testimony and how God has worked in my life might be a better tool to use in presenting the gospel. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, if I'm not free to express the Christian faith in the way that I get most excited, yeah, then I'm I, you know all these things that bind us um, based on strategies and methods and 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 modes and and, and you know practice runs of sharing your story. Mm-hmm. I mean. Ultimately, yeah, maybe you're doing that because you want to get comfortable, mm-hmm. but maybe you shouldn't be 100% comfortable when you're sharing Christ with an unbeliever. Maybe you should be a little bit overwhelmed by the, the magnitude of the task before you, and, and uh, maybe you should feel not completely prepared, so you have to rely on the Holy Spirit in that moment. Mm. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I think that you're right. When you're talking to somebody, if you've... You know, it, it, again, to get into like uh, not not just martial arts, but any any competitive sport where mm-hmm. you can't decide. I'm going in. I'm going to drive right down the middle, and I'm going to and I'm going to do a layup. I'm going to you know you you have to be ready to interact and react right. and and anything that locks you down in a way where where I say to you beforehand, look, this is a, this guy is very scientifically minded, so this is going to be the approach you take. Mm-hmm. Um, it really not only does it kind of stupidly from a human perspective, lock you down, but yeah, it leaves, it leaves the Holy spirit out of the equation. Um, and, and it granted, I mean, that's, that's all devil's advocate. Somebody would say, well, obviously, duh, any, any of these things are open to, uh, improvisation in the moment and, and the following the leading of the Holy spirit. Um, but I, I don't know that I want to have a backup plan in case the Holy Spirit isn't working through me today. <laughs> Another thing to, to, to think about this maybe is broadening our view of what evangelism really is. Yeah. Um, because it, on one level, I take part in formal church program evangelism every Sunday mm-hmm. because I get up to the, the pulpit and just like I said, you know, if, if I can gather a crowd in some way, I'm going to proclaim the gospel. Well, on Sundays, I gather a crowd simply by saying we're going to proclaim the gospel. We're right. going to have worship. And, and I mean, that is, that is evangelism because there are people who hear the gospel who don't know it. Right. Um, and that's, I mean, we've got this, this podcast. And right. in the next year, almost a thousand people are probably going to download and listen to it if the past is any... Uh, indicator. Mm-hmm. And unless they're like, that chair is so loud, I can hear, you know, what's going on. <laughs> you know, we, we need to make sure we don't in any setting assume the gospel yes. that people who would, who would listen to this. I mean, in fact, if, if you're listening to this now and you're not sure what the gospel is, it's the good news that you are a sinner you have turned your back on your creator. You've worshiped created things. You've worshiped yourself. You'd, you've lived for yourself. You've broken his law. You've broken his heart. You've, mm-hmm. you've, you've turned away from him. And instead of crushing you in his righteous wrath, which he would have been completely within 
uh, his character to do uh, because he is holy. He would not have been uh, in the wrong in any way. Instead, though, he sent his son, Jesus, God the Son, and he came down, he lived a perfect life, he didn't break the law, he kept the law like we couldn't, mm-hmm. he, he died on a cross and died for not his own sin because he had none, but for my sin and your sin, yep. so that by believing in him and turning from our sins, his grace gives us salvation, takes from us our sin and guilt and shame and puts it on Christ's shoulders and takes his righteousness and holiness and perfection and puts it on us, imputes it into us so that we stand before God perfect and acceptable. That's the gospel. Now, maybe everyone who will listen to this uh, podcast already knew that, but it's still good to hear again. Yeah. Uh, Luther was asked, why do you preach the gospel every week? He said, because every week you forget it. Yes. And, and yeah. it's true. <laughs> and so maybe, I mean, is, is that still evangelism? Yes, because the word evangelism comes from the Greek word euangelion, which simply means good news, yeah. um, you know, good words. <laughs> and, and, and so we're, we're, it's basically gospeling people. It's taking the word good news or gospel and making it a verb, euangelizo. And I'm gospeling you. Even if you're already saved, I'm gospeling you by building you up, by reminding you how much God loves us and, yeah. and to, the, to that very extreme point. So I, I don't know, maybe like broadening a bit how we, and I don't think we want to give ourselves a pass on, um, you know, proclaiming the gospel to the lost or those who are hostile to Christianity because right. we've spent time, you know, telling each other this, this story. Yeah. But yeah, and that's that's a, a vital part of making disciples. Yeah, and, and the more holistically we probably think of this whole thing, um, the more we're going to realize that it can't be broken down into these little component parts. Yeah. We have our program for discipleship that meets on Tuesdays. We have our program for evangelism. We do that on Thursday. Even if you have those programs and they're good programs, and I'm not saying get rid of them, it, it's got to be done bigger than that and more it's got to bleed into your life more than that it can't be uh can't be uh marked off and and delineated into these little compartments of life yeah um and certainly evangelism can't be done that way you know one night a week um Mm -hmm. and then again at the same time if someone is actually sharing their faith in a program like that they're ahead of most christians who aren't Mm-hmm. sharing it at all. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not here to judge, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just here to say, uh, to each his own on this stuff. Let's make sure, you know, one time, uh, Moody, uh, was, was taken to task by, by someone who didn't like his, um, you know, kind of salesman approach to the gospel. You know, they were like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you even said, I think one time I, I was a shoe salesman. I didn't change occupations. I just changed products. That may be apocryphal, but, but I've, I've read that he said that. And somebody was like, how, how can you approach it this way? How can you do it this way? I don't like, and he, he just said, well, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. <laughs> Wait, and you can't argue with that. I yeah. mean, if someone is conveying the gospel, yeah. um, which you heard me just bang out in 35 seconds, it's a simple message and there's yeah. many ways to convey it then let's, let's cheer that on and get excited about it rather than say, no, 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 no. That's not how we do it here. Right. Or no, 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 no. That's not how this book says it's supposed to be done. 
Right. Uh, we, we don't need that. I mean, even even within one guy in the book of Acts, we see it done so many different ways. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it, sometimes he's he's proclaiming the gospel by reminding people they're the ones who killed him. Right. I mean, right. <laughs> I don't know any books that say to do that, yeah. but it worked for him in that moment. Yep. <laughs> People were cut to the heart <laughs> when they heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think I think that's the brilliance of it. But I think one thing to point to what you were saying um and kind of and kind of, you know, backtrack just a little bit. I think one of the things that people have missed over the years, I think it was, was it Francis of Assisi who is quoted as saying, you know, go into the world and preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. And I've come to hate that quote because it's always necessary to use words. It is right. And Francis did not say that. Okay. Um, it's, it is attributed to him usually, but okay. but it's it's totally apocryphal. It's, it's one of those things that sounds so deep until right. you think about it and go, Wait a minute. That's like saying, you know, make me an omelet if necessary. Use eggs. Right. I mean, you're, you're, <laughs> the gospel's news. It can't. It, it, or you know what I what I I heard a lot. I don't hear as much anymore. But I heard a lot for a while was we're gonna just we're gonna be the gospel. We're gonna live the gospel. Um. What? That's right. that. You're gonna live the. That's like. Can you imagine if like. Uh, it was time for the six o'clock news and I'm blanking on any like non-disgraced, still working news anchor who's on Charlie Rose is gone. Dan Rather's gone, whatever. Tom Brokaw or somebody got up. I just dated myself. Yes, you got did. up and, uh, <laughs> and was like, now for the news. And then just stood, stared at the camera. Yeah. Like, like a, like a psychopath. And they were like, Tom, dude, read the news. And he was like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say the news. Right. I'm going to be the news. <laughs> right. No, you can't. The the way what you do to make news news is you proclaim it somehow. Right. So yeah, you're. I, I'm with you, man. That that is one of my least favorite uh, little quotes. And and when people kind of cleverly slip that out there, I have to stop myself from savagely tearing it apart. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It's just, it's so important, you know. I, I want to, you know, just kind of go back to more specifically, though, um, the the aspect of, of there being um, a program um, and just kind of ask you, do you think, do you think having like a, an official like class or an official program in the church, do you think that it's uh, necessary? I think it can be. I okay. don't think it always is. I, I, I do not speak in absolutes on this stuff mm-hmm. because every church is different. Yeah. If you're in a, a, a church of very new believers, mm-hmm. um, you, you might think, well, that's the one that really needs the program. No, that's the one that doesn't. Right. Because these are the people who are just without, they couldn't, they couldn't keep that shut up in their body any more than you could keep fire shut up in your bones. I mean, it's coming out. It's, it's, I've got new believers at my church and, and, uh, one, one guy, he's in his, his mid twenties got mm-hmm. saved out of a life of, uh, hedonism. And this guy is, I mean, you cannot keep him from proclaiming the gospel. So, you know, maybe it's, it's a good, um, a little goose for the sort of complacent, um, fattened Christians that are just kind of showing up to be fed uh, and and hoarding the gospel for themselves. Yep. Maybe in that setting, 
uh, it's good. You know, I, I, I've learned that guilting people about not sharing their faith from the pulpit doesn't work mm-hmm. at all. Right. Um, generally guilting people about not doing things they shouldn't do or doing things they shouldn't uh, works for a very short period of time. And then it it loses its ability. Right. Um, A a program I'm less convinced is, is useful as far as um, this is our response to the need for evangelism. Mm -hmm. But a lot of programs and, and you know, we, we can rip on programs, but Again, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of where I was in Acts three weeks ago, uh, there was a program for feeding those widows. Yep. Why? Because the widows needed to get fed and they wanted to do it in an efficient way. But um, many programs in a church should probably have as one of their goals or their primary goal, mm-hmm. bringing the gospel to people. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have a, um, one of the things our church is known for in, in our community is it's called the Love Clothing Center. Mm-hmm. It's for kids, uh, 3T up through high school. Okay. And you come in and we've got, I mean, this thing, it, it's like we've taken a, a portion. It used to be the social hall of the original church. They've turned it into a clothing store. Oh, um, wow. huh. a, a whole section of new, a whole section of used. You come in and uh, you've got six kids. Each of those six kids gets two new shirts, no, two used shirts, one new shirt, uh, new pants, old pants, uh, enough new underwear and socks to last a whole week, you know, and this is all this stuff, winter coats, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, my struggle is always, how do we make that more into a way to proclaim the gospel? Yeah. Not that there's no value simply in doing that because it's kind. And Jesus says, whatever you do, you know, these kindnesses you do for the least of these. And he says, you did them for me. They weren't evangelism. Mm-hmm. They were feeding people clothing people, visiting people in the hospital and the prisons. And there's value in that. Yeah. But at the same time, Paul tells Timothy or Titus, bad pastor, I should know, um, that, that the good works we do, it, it's adorning the gospel. Yeah. You know, these things are there to dress up the gospel as well. Yeah. And I think they show that it's not just empty words. You know, yeah. it's, there's something to it. And yeah, so I, I think... A lot of programs should be unleashed to be, um, they, they don't stand in for evangelism, but be the kind of forum for mm-hmm. evangelism. Christians should be equipped, you know, and I think that the main way is not teaching you cute little methods for sneaking the gospel into conversations right. or, you know, PowerPoint presentation you have to make without the PowerPoint, right. but rather just teaching the gospel. Yeah people connected to their own lives on their own and know how to help connect it to someone else's life intuitively, I think. And then of course you also have the Holy spirit. I, I think part of it is just a culture yeah. that, that views evangelism as central to who we are and as a job, not just for the staff of the church, but for everybody. Right. Right. Well, and I think, I think when, as the church, you know, you as you as the pastor of the church, and when the church is is actively involved in the gospel, in in being taught the gospel, and understanding what it is, as a believer, you know there is, or there should be, I would hope, more of an outpouring that okay, I understand when I have a solid grasp and understanding of what grace is and what Christ did for me, I want to share that with other people. 
and I want to I want to do that in a way that they they understand what I'm saying, you know, and and they understand that it's within the context of a relationship that, you know, how can I go to someone who I don't know and and again, I know that there are people that do this and I am okay with that and you know, you like you've been saying, Zach, there is not one size fits all method. I have a more relational approach with people. I I want to get to know them. I want them to know that I care for them, that I, that I'm invested in them. Um, and then, you know, we, we get into conversations about things and people, it's interesting. People notice little things. People notice little things about me. Um, you know, it's, it's very easy in today's society to talk about, um, you know, talk poorly about your spouse. You know, even even in that quote unquote like joking officey um, talk type way, and I, I don't I don't do that. You know, when people are making their jokes and they kind of turn to me, I'm just I look at them. And I'm like, I'm I'm sorry, guys. I really I don't have anything bad to say about my wife. I mean, you know, we have our struggles and stuff, but I mean, I love her dearly. Um, and you know, I I remember when I was working um, at the liquor store and I had reps coming in and like, you know, we got to go to this place or that place, you know, where there are, um, scantily clad women and, you know, they're doing stuff and, you know, like they would ask me, Hey, would you like to go out one night? And, you know, we'll go to this place. I got it in with the owner. It's like, you know, no, thanks guys. I really, you know, and I remember one time one of them was like, Oh, come on. You know, it's, uh, you can, you know, you can look at the menu without ordering anything or you can look, but don't touch. Well, in, and I just kind of looked at him and I was like, yeah, but why, why do we need to look when I already know what I want? You know? And it's like, I, I said, you know, I just said, look, I, I'm just, I'm devoted to my wife. I love her. I don't want my mind going there. And I never, I always tried never to make it like, well, you're such horrible people for doing this. It was always in the context of, guys, you just, you don't know where my, where my mind is. You don't know where my heart is. Like, I, I just, I don't want to go there. You know? Also, you're and, scumbags for doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but I got no patience for that kind of rotten behavior. But, but, you know, it almost sounds like you're saying, though, that you uh, preach the gospel without using words when you do that. <laughs> Uh, not me. Or, no, like well, it, but but I mean, you're you're, you're you really are buying capital, you know, right. in, in, in the right to be heard by showing that there's something different. You're that there's something countercultural that that what drives you is different from what's driving everyone else. And dude, it has a great example. Is there anything that's ultimately less satisfying and more just like, uh, like uh, empty? Than the sort of commodity, commodi- what's the word? Commoditization. That's yeah. it now. Uh, of of sex, you know, yeah. oh, of, yeah. of nudity, of uh, you know, like look, j- just look a whole lot. Look, look, look. You're right. not going to touch. And then you're like, okay, this ultimately is just like the most frustrating and empty, horrible thing. And and what comes pouring down at the back of that, if your conscience hasn't been co- totally seared, is these women that that I've been looking at and thinking of as you know objects, right? Are are people and, right. and, and and you know when somebody gets there and the and the, there's a little conviction and they remember you know there was that guy yeah that didn't do that and 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 he didn't even want to it wasn't like he was like oh I wish I could go guys 
Right. That that buys you now. You know, I think of Chuck Colson, mm-hmm. uh, whom I really, really admire. Yeah. Um, he's still, I still admire him, even though he's dead. Uh, and, and I, I didn't read his book Born Again, but I do have and have read many times the comic book adaptation. Uh, I got it when I was about 13. My, my mom knew I loved comics. So she'd give me this Christian comic sometimes. Nice. And he's in the midst of like the worst time of his life, you know, Watergate's crashing down on him. All this horrible stuff's happening. And, uh, he, he thinks about all the angry people, all the people using him for their own ends, all the corrupt people. And so there's all these like just disembodied faces in true, like late seventies comic fashion, Mm -hmm. all swirling around him. But then there's this one face that's serene and and loving and gentle and and it's his friend who told him about Jesus mm-hmm. and and he's like this is the one person who hasn't thrown me under the bus the one person who hasn't you know called me with veiled threats of you better not turn you know flip on me you know everybody even this this president who was supposedly you know we were on each other's team and I. And it, They've all turned on me except this. And, and so that wasn't the gospel, obviously. Right. But he went to that guy right. and was like, what, what is it you've got that none of these other people have? Why are you so different? Right. And, I, and I, I, you know, the optimist in me says that's what people mean when they right. say preach the gospel always. The problem is that the way that little uh, adage comes out leaves you the option of never using words. And, right. and that's the problem. But right. you do have to continue... Oh, uh, uh, buttressing the gospel with your actions, yes, uh, because no one wants to be part of your you know little hypocritical fantasy world where you are actually righteous, right? <laughs> so, where you yeah. where you give lip service to God's grace, but don't show grace to anyone in your life, right? Um, right. So there's there's that. Uh, dude, can I ask you a question uh, that, that actually popped into my head a, a minute ago while you were talking? Yeah, man. Um, is something you said prompted this. I'd never thought this before, but I often hear people say, I'd love to share my faith. I wish, and I, I don't know why I keep saying share my faith. That's our buzzword. <laughs> Scripture never calls it that. It right. calls it proclaiming the good news. Right. Or, or evangelizing, good newsing people. Um, you just got good news. You just got good news. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, I'd love the good news people, but... I'm just afraid I'm not going to have all the answers. And maybe it happened to them once or twice where they talked to some like chip on shoulder, keyboard warrior, militant atheist who was like, yeah, yeah well, what about, yeah. you know, and, and there, there's there probably three dozen go-to what abouts. Yeah. You know, what about this thing that's in the Bible or this contradiction? Yeah. What about, you know, the this scientific discovery, whatever. Yeah. And, and they felt foolish. They didn't have the answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't feel like they could say, you know, I don't know about that, but I do know that Jesus saved me. Right. They didn't feel like they could say, well, let me look into that and, and get back to you. They felt like they had to have all the answers. And I'm wondering if maybe... Part of the reason why we feel like we have to have all the answers is because some of these programs and classes and books have kind of portrayed themselves, positioned themselves as we're going to give you all the answers. Yes. yes. And the ultimate kind of uh, method where you go in and you're going to stand on your own two feet and you're going to get the thing done. And I think of the words of St. Paul, let anyone who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Yeah. Um, do you think maybe that's a, a self-perpetuating problem? I do, yeah. No, I agree with you 100%. I think that was, for a number of years, that was my issue with talking to people about my faith. I always lived out um, a light, you know, I always lived out the gospel 
And when people would ask me, I wouldn't shy away from it, but I would never initiate. And, and a lot of that was because, um, of that, of that fear, you know, living in fear of, oh man, well, what if, what if we get into a conversation and I don't have the answer and I don't know what to do? And, and that, that was, that was a paralyzing fear. And then again, in, in the course of maturing, in the course of growing up, in the course of studying, uh, God's word, in the course of talking with other people who were far more experienced at proclaiming their faith, at proclaiming the gospel, um, I, I came to realize that, that coming to someone honestly and saying, you know, that's a great question. I actually don't have the answer to that can be very disarming for them as well. You being willing to admit that, Hey man, I I'm on this, I'm on this journey just like you. I don't have the answer, all the answers. Um, but you know what, can you, can you give me a couple of days to kind of look through it and see what some other people have said about it. I, I've not gone beyond, you know, saying, Hey, with certain things, uh, certain questions that people have about topics and things like that, man, you know, I'm just not well read on this, but here are some guys that I really, that I like, I trust, I think they are. And, uh, here, here's a book or, or let me give you a book that you could read about that because I just, I, I don't have the capacity to understand that particular thing, but may, you know, if you do, I, I think you could probably hang with this guy's thought process. Um, and so for me, it's, that's part of been a lot of the freedom that I've, I've come to in, in evangelizing is, yeah, I, I don't have all the answers. You know, I, I wish I could, I wish I could stand here and, you know, give you everything that you need. Actually, one of the more freeing things was hearing, um, Ravi Zacharias, um, who I just, I mean, I love that dude's got a brain like a machine. And, uh, I remember him talking about having a uh, friend of his who wanted him to, you know, witness to this guy who was a, you know, just a high end thinker and, you know, so Ravi was like, all right, I'll do it. And, you know, so they were having dinner together and they were talking and, you know, Ravi was like, you know, this guy was, was kind of above me in some of the things that he was asking. And, you know, I was, I was kind of unprepared and, you know, so I had to look at him and just be like, you know, those are great questions. I don't have an answer for you right now. And like, that just blew me away. That someone like that, who it seems, you know, you, you watch his program, you listen to his program and his interviews and his talks and all of that. And that guy just, he's on point. And to hear him say, you know what? I come to points in my life where I don't have an answer and it's okay to say that. It's better. It's actually better to say that than try to like fudge your way through something. Um, so yeah, yeah. And, and that's more and more the, the case, I think, that we have to be ready to do that. Yeah. I, I remember hearing a, a guy teaching evangelism, uh, I don't know if he was teaching evangelism method or, or, or one of these things. Mm-hmm. It was a class on evangelism, and, and somebody said, what about when someone says uh, the, the Bible's full of contradictions? And he said, what you do is you call their bluff. You put your Bible down in front of them and say, show me one. And I've done that a hundred times, and no one's ever been able to show me one. And And that was in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, if you put a Bible in front of me and said, show me a contradiction, if I wanted to you know, 
be devil's advocate or, right. or be snarky, I'd pull out my phone, I'd Google contradictions in the Bible, and then I would slide my phone in front of you and say, well, here's a list of uh, 63 from the internet. Right. Uh, we, yeah. we can't do that anymore. We can't position ourselves as the expert in everything. Right. Um, I think a good tactic, and, and by the way, there's a great book. I think it was Greg Kukul who wrote, it was called Tactics, mm. and it acknowledged a lot of uh, how there's different ways to do this. Um, and another really good book, if you're interested, um, uh, people listening or, or Nathan, uh, is called uh, Got Style? Question mark. And it's by Jeff something. He works for my denomination uh, that, that we're a part of. And it was, again, about different people have different styles. And here's how you can kind of play to your own strengths when you do evangelism. And I thought that was a really great way to, to teach and kind of free people to say you don't have to be able to you know, stand up and give a 20 minute presentation. Right. Or maybe that's how you do it. If that's how you're wired. But, um, uh, it, the, Oh crap. I was like four, four digressions deep there and I lost it. <laughs> it was oh right, Right. So I think one of the really good tactics, if somebody, um, you know, stumps you with a, uh, well, what about this? And you're like, Oh crud. I don't know about, you know, evolutionary biology, so I can't answer that. You know, I'm not. I'm not an expert in everything. Right. You know, people aren't. People don't realize how impossible it is to be an expert in multiple fields to begin with. Right. You know, in, in our right. culture where these schlubs all think, oh, I read the Wikipedia article. I, I know all about that. Right. You know, Indiana Jones is shown as being an archaeologist with expertise, not ever in in doing digging and and actual archaeology without right. destroying things. But like he knows every language, he he knows about South American tribes, and he knows about you know the the local customs and and, and right. traditions in Istanbul. And you're like, no one, no one, even within one field, knows everything. We've got to acknowledge that going in. Right. A good tactic is simply to say, yeah, that's that's a tough one, and be ready with. But what do you do with? And you introduce your own. Okay, now we both have something that we're struggling with. Right. Uh, and the, the real question is at the end of the day, which of these answers is going to satisfy better yes. um, and more wholly and is going to uh, really bring satisfaction or which one just seems like a justification? Yes. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And I, you know, it's interesting. I remember, um, little bit of a rabbit trail, but not too much, and I'll, I'll bring it back around. But I remember uh, when Greg talked about a friend who had recent, not recently, but when he, he was growing up, who had come to Christ, and this friend of his was just new to Christ, and you know, they, he and another friend were sitting down and talking to him, and you know, so excited, and you know, uh, one of the things that um, he asked this friend years later was, what was you know, some of the best advice you got as a new believer. And, uh, you know, Greg was expecting to hear something, you know, so profound, you know, a verse or, or some, you know, something. And uh, he said, the best advice I ever got was, you know, you're in this phase of Christianity where, where you are on this high and you are on the mountaintop and, and everything is great. And And he said, the best piece of advice I got was, just be prepared for when you come down off of that and cling to what scripture says as truth. 
you know. And and I think one of the best pieces of advice that we can give to believers in the context of evangelism is it's okay to not have all the answers. Like I think sometimes we try to portray to new believers, you know, that everything all the time in all ways is going to be, you know, this mountaintop experience and you know, a lot of evangelism, I remember, you know, a lot of evangelism in the, you know, kind of 70s and 80s revolved around come to Jesus and your life will be great and all this stuff. And it's like, uh, no, I mean, that's that's not what scripture says. You know, I mean, we're going to face trials. We're going to face tribulations. I think the best thing we can do is to be honest with people, whether we're evangelizing uh, well, in the course of our evangelism. So even being mm-hmm. honest with people in the course of, you know, so, so what is it going to be? What is it going to be like as a Christian? You know, I look at, um, in the book of Ruth when, uh, Ruth wants to follow Naomi and, and Naomi is laying out for her what this path is going to entail. You know, look at what Christ does when people are coming to him and, and, you know, wanting salvation, you know, you would think it's that he would, you know, be, be just, yeah, come on in. It's going to be great. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be perfect. And, and how many times do people turn away in their disappointment because he lays out the reality of what following him is going to mean? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a problem we face as believers in general is the honesty of, of life. You know, whether it's, yeah. you know, the, the reality of, of following Christ or whether it's the reality of reaching out to people with Christ, um, just being honest. And when you talk about mountaintop experiences, obviously we think about, you know, the ultimate would be the transfiguration, right? <laughs> here's Moses, here's Elijah. They're like hobnobbing yeah. with us. Jesus, you know, yeah. the, the, the veil of his humanity is yeah. pulled back. That was probably a Christological heresy. But, you know, we, they saw his divinity like John would later see it on Patmos. Yep. And and they wanted to stay there, right? Peter's right. like, let's, let's build some lean-tos. Let's right. do this. And then Jesus is like, no, we got to go back down. When they go back down, do you remember what they find? This is when they find this guy who's like, uh, your disciples could not cast out the demon. Yes. And Jesus is like, oh my goodness. Like, like there's failure. There's, there's complaints. Yeah. There's like it, all the reality hits them in the face. And there's, there's, you know, ministry that didn't work out. Right. That's, that's what happens when you come back down off the mountain. And, you know, I think another part of that, um, that same conversation is you, you don't want to keep track of your you're like batting average here. Yes. Yeah. Part of what's beautiful about being, um, I'm just going to use the C word if that's okay. A Calvinist <laughs> uh, is knowing, I mean, mm. being, being given this beautiful piece of comfort Yes. that I'm guaranteed success, that Jesus calls his own to himself. Yep. And he does that by the instrumental means of, of us proclaiming the gospel. Yes. And that I will always, when I proclaim the gospel, either I'm planting a seed that will be watered and later this person's going to come to faith or God's sovereign purpose is fulfilled because this person is not going to come to faith. And part of the indictment against them is that they heard the gospel and they rejected it. Right. And so whatever I'm doing, this is going to glorify God if I do it faithfully. 
And so, you know, the, the claim that if you become a Calvinist, you're not going to want to evangelize um, because you're going to be frozen chosen and you're going you're gonna to think it doesn't have anything to do with sharing. the No, no, the opposite is true. Yeah. We should want to share our faith all the more to proclaim the gospel um, and without fear, know if somebody says, um, you know, that's just not for me that I'm not going to freak out and go, well, could I have said one word differently or done something differently that would have uh, no, uh, right. actually, if I proclaimed the gospel, I was leaning on the spirit while I was, you know, talking to this person and, and I was thinking of the scriptures, not my own clever machinations of, of doctrine and philosophy, then I did what I'm called to do. And it was a success, right? You know, it, it doesn't have to end with the altar call scene for it to be a success. It, yes. it just has to be, you know, I mean, think about it. Mars Hill, um, did most people come to faith when Saul gave what we often think of as one of the greatest sermons of all time? No, right. most people were like, you're ridiculous resurrection. A few said, we'll hear you again sometime. And just a very small handful believed. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. That's what we should expect when we proclaim the gospel, that a small group will, believe. many are called, but few are chosen, but yeah. go call right. and call, call, call. Yeah. Um, I, I actually got to get going, man. You, my family and I are going to eat Mexican food and watch Coco, which oh, is nice. such a delightful movie. Have you seen it? I have. Yes. Yes. That is. Oh, I love that movie. And I did cry and I don't care that everyone knows. That is fantastic, man. <laughs> All right. Well, we are, uh, we are going to go ahead and um, wrap up. I just want to say one quick thing to your point. You know, uh-huh. Paul even tells us in scripture why he proclaims the gospel. It's for the sake of the elect. Right. It's not, he doesn't know who's going to come to faith. He doesn't know, but he knows that in the course of preaching the gospel, there are people who are going to come to saving faith that God has already, um, pre, predetermined, that God has preordained. And that's why he does it. That's why we do it because we don't know who, we don't know where, we don't know when, but we know that God has a plan and that he uses us in that plan to accomplish it. So. Yeah. No, great words. This was, uh, this was great, man. And it's funny because we actually didn't even get to the second part of the conversation. We never do, but it's good to have that. It's, it that's like, that's like the evangelism training you keep in your hip pocket <laughs> or if you have to rely on it. <laughs> and, and after this conversation, I'm thinking it's going to be a very short time before uh, people are going to have those Zach and Nathan busts up on, you know, holding, <laughs> propping up their, their Puritan devotionals. Oh man! All right. Well, I will let you get to your uh, to your Mexican food and cocoa. As always, Zach, this has been great. Zach, we just rocked the Casbah. These go to eleven.